0: Well, I think you know what I'm going to say. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And our text this morning will be verses 8 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 11. Paul writes for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another, the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits to another, various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go through our text this morning. Father, again, I do pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. We know that nothing good comes out of this unless your Holy Spirit reveals And teaches and moves in our hearts. And so we pray that he would illuminate the truths of the word this morning. That you would again conform us more to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And give us a better better understanding of what you have for us. As we look at your word this morning I pray in your name. Amen. Well we're kind of finishing up a three part series. A mini series here as we go through verses 1 to 11. This was supposed to be one sermon that morphed into three sermons. And so we had a week break in between. So I want to remind you that Paul begins this section in verse 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, he's, he's changing subjects. He's bringing up something that he wants them to know. He says, I do not want you to be unaware. In other words, you need to know this. This is something that, that I need to tell you. Uh, It's not something new. Uh, It's something that he has taught them before. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I may note to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so as we started through that, Paul is saying, I want to teach you about, make you aware about spiritual gifts. And then he reminds them really of who they used to be. They were pagans and they were led astray by mute idols. They served those idols. They were dragged away by them. And many of those idols we saw were, were idols that, that were demon, demonic behind them. There was demons behind the idols. And in their pagan worship, they were used to many different signs and wonders and, and spectacular events. And they were used to ecstatic experiences. And so Paul reminds them that's the way you used to be. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And he says, Listen, anybody who's truly has the Holy Spirit and is demonstrating gifts of the Spirit won't say that Jesus is accursed. And we saw how ultimately that was speaking, not just of the phrase, Jesus is a curse, but a recognition of who Jesus Christ was and all the doctrine that went about him. In other words, there was a group when the church who was saying, guess what? Jesus came as in spirit, but not as a human being. And so they would say, Jesus is his human name. Therefore, Jesus is a curse. We know the Christ came, the Christ spirit, but not in humanity. And so you, they would say this phrase maybe within the church. And at first you're thinking, well, how could anybody say that? But, but that was their understanding, right? And so they're bringing in this false teaching that Jesus only came as a spirit, not as a man. But far from that, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the spirit. And he says, you need to have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. He's Jesus Christ and he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In other words, Jesus is God. Jesus, the man, was God in flesh. And you cannot make a proper understanding and have a proper view of who Jesus Christ is except by the Spirit of God. You must have the Spirit in order to know who Jesus Christ truly is. And so really, he was saying to them, listen, you... Are all about ecstatic experiences, and we'll see some of those a bit later in chapter 13 and 14. But he says far from those excess and ecstatic experiences being something from the Holy Spirit, they are actually just remnants of your pagan worship. It's not the Holy Spirit. And then Paul moves on, and he says, "Now I I, I I want to explain to you. There are varieties of gifts. In other words, you guys have been fighting. We'll be fighting over gifts. You guys have been divided in the church." He says, "There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit." He says, "There there are varieties of giftings. In other words, there are there are gifts of the Holy Spirit that He gives. They are they are not something you can earn, not something that you can produce, not something you can get more of. But there are something that come at your conversion and are given to you." And he says, there's various manifestations. The idea here is there's various giftings. Each one of you will have a different gifting, but it all comes from the same spirit. He says, and there are varieties of ministries. In other words, there's various ways in which we we use our gifts, and it will be demonstrated in how we serve, but the same Lord. In other words, Jesus is is affirming what the Holy Spirit is doing. The, the Trinity is working in harmony because what one part of the Trinity does, the whole Trinity does. They have one will, one mind, and therefore they are all in agreement. But each one is given a manifestation of the... But he says there are various effects, but the same God who works all things to all persons. In other words, there's a variety of... of effectiveness of ministry so some of you are going to are going to teach sunday school and you're going to have a large class and people are just going to come in droves and some of you are going to teach sunday school class and it's going to be to that one person god will decide the fruit he will decide how your gifting and the and the and how that gifting works itself out and he will affect the fruit that comes from that ministry And so the Corinthians who are trying to get the flashy gifts and trying to get the things that point to themselves, Paul says, actually, far be it from that. The Holy Spirit should be bringing unity to the church because the church should be demonstrating these gifts. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives them. There's nothing special about you. He gives them as he pleases. He's the one who gives the gifting. He's the one who gives the ministry. And he's the one who gives the results. So far from being fighting over these things and dividing over them, it should bring unity. And that's what he says in verse 7. But each one of you was given the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, a demonstration of the Spirit working in you for the common good. And he gets each one of you, not without exception, but each one of you and that's his emphasis Is but each one of you is given the manifestation don't think that some of you are special and some are different and better but everyone has exactly the gifting that God has set out for them so stop fighting over those giftings then he says for the common good in other words it's for, for, for it's not for you just so you don't get misinformed it's for the common good for the building up of the body. Now, as we come to verse 8, then Paul is really going to continue on and he's going to say, well, I've told you about the variety of gifts. Now I'm going to show you what the gifts are. I'm actually going to give you a demonstration of it, of some gifts, so that you can recognize just the variety that is given by the Spirit. And recognize again that it is given by the Holy Spirit, and the emphasis is, is by another, the Holy Spirit, another, another, another. In other words, the emphasis here is I want you to contrast the variety of gifts with the one Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is working in all of these various people, but it is the same Spirit, and so there should be a unity that comes again, that draws us together because the giftings are all being produced by the same Spirit. Since we all have the same Spirit, we are to keep the unity of the Spirit. And so there should giftings should not ultimately tear us apart. Now, he's going to go through a list of giftings here. And I'm going to humbly, I hope, <laughs> it should be humbly, go through these giftings and I'm going to explain how I understand they are. I understand that there is different points of view on these. I understand that there are good men who disagree with me. There are a few good men who do agree with me too, so that's good. So I, I want to go through this list, and but I want us to remember that as we go through this list, that Paul's primary purpose here is not to define the gifts though we will try to define them to some degree but to point out the variety of the gifts with the same spirit so let's not let's not lose the forest for the trees let we want to keep that understanding that Paul what Paul is doing here nevertheless we will endeavor to go through this list of gifts and i would say this that if we look back at the beginning here he starts off with really the idea that they have been Having ecstatic experiences in their pagan religion, and many of those have crept into the church. And in many ways, the list of gifts that he give here gives here are going to be gifts that would be most easily counterfeited by Satan in the church. In other words, that when you look at these gifts, these are the these are the flashy ones that could more than likely be counterfeited by Satan if one is not careful. So I want us to keep that in mind as we start to go through. Now, as he starts here, he gives us really two gifts, two gifts of the mind. He says, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, and to another knowledge according to the same spirit. Now, as he goes through here, he gives us really three different groupings. Uh, Verse eight to one, verse nine to another. And then again, when we come to to tongues, he says, uh, another, another. Now, we can't see it in the English, but there's actually a change of word for another there. There are three three times in those verses where he uses a different word of an, of another which leads us to another kind of gift okay so the first grouping will be with the mind the second grouping is to do with the will and then the last one of course is tongues which is a sign gift now he begins this this section and he says, for one is given a word of wisdom through the spirit, another a word of knowledge, according to the same spirit. So what are these gifts? What are, what is the gift of wisdom and what is the gift of knowledge? Well, the word wisdom indicate, first of all, it says a word of wisdom. The idea there is that it is a speaking gift. In other words, it is something that is spoken. We know this, that all gifts are not given to everyone. Therefore, we know that this is a restricted gift. In other words, not everybody gets the gift of speaking in wisdom or speaking in knowledge. Now Paul describes himself in this way. If we if we remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 he says this. Now we verse 12, 1 Corinthians 2:12. Now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So Paul says, I spoke, I spoke a wisdom and I spoke it in spiritual words. In other words, I had a revelation from God that allowed me to now combine those thoughts and give words to them. Paul spoke earlier in verse seven, but we speak wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God. In other words, mystery in scripture is not something that's, that's you know, mystifying, but it is rather something that has not been revealed by God. And he says, we are speaking a mystery. We are speaking the hidden things of God because they were a mystery. They were, they were not revealed until a certain time. And Paul says, we are now, these things have been revealed to us And we now speak them in supernatural words. In other words, the wisdom that was given to us from God. In other words, he says, we have received divine revelation received from from Christ, which is thus transformed into words for communication. And again, this word, this wisdom is again listed in verse, chapter 13 verse 8 if there are tongues they will cease if there is knowledge it will be done away with for we know in part and we prophesy in part and there seems to be a connection between wisdom the, the gift of wisdom which means I now have had a revelation from God that I now communicate in language In other words, it is is a gift that reveals, is a revelatory gift that comes from God that reveals truth that has not been known before. And now it is communicated to people. Now, some would say that this gift continues today. And certainly we know that God works and gives people wisdom, gives them discernment. But I would understand that this is a gift that took place in the first century. It's tied to Paul, it's tied to the apostles, and it is a gift that is only available for the first century. And so it was a gift that was given to some who would be able to reveal things that had not been revealed before and to explain them to people and because it is attached both with wisdom and attached with prophecy i would understand that this was a first century gift that was given to some in the church who were able to get a word of wisdom from god and to reveal it to others now much of that information is revealed became permanently recorded in the in the pages of the new testament Nevertheless, it is probable that much that God chose to reveal had only a contemporary usefulness for the local circumstances of the first century believers. Thus, some of it did not become part of God's revelation, written revelation. We can see this really in when Peter refers to Paul in Second Peter 3.15. He says, just also as our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you among mysteries. And so he says, this is, this is what Paul wrote. He wrote, wisdom, give, uh, he wrote some scripture out of the wisdom given to him. Now, this is different from the general wisdom that is given to Christians. All, all Christians are able to what? Pray. To, and as James chapter five, 1 tells us, for wisdom. And God will grant them wisdom in their daily circumstances. But it would seem that this gift is a gift that was given in the early church to reveal new truth. Then he talks about the word of knowledge, a direct word of insight from the Lord to guide the church in understanding a prophecy deemed again a revelatory gift because it is again with prophecy and knowledge and again we would say the difference between wisdom and knowledge here is that wisdom seems to have a revelation from God and and reveals and tells you what it means Uh, I'm sorry, wisdom has the idea of, of of getting a revelation from God and describing what it means where, where knowledge has the idea of, of applying that understanding to life and situations in the church and so these gifts seem to be related to prophecy in the fact that they both are, are laying out the idea that in the first century there were those who were given a word from the Lord that they would be able to either explain what the prophecy was or the ability to apply that truth to specific circumstances in the church. Again, this gift is, is connected with the mystery and the hidden and the wisdom in Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Second uh, Peter 3, 1 to 2 says, This is now the second letter I am writing you, to you in which I am stirring you up to sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. So he takes the words that have been come before and now he now applies them to them and gives them insight in Second Peter as he, as he takes past prophecy and now applies it to them. And so there are two gifts to the mind that are, that have been given to the, were given to the church in Corinth that were available for the first Corinthians church. Now it's interesting that these are the two gifts that he starts with because these two gifts are the ones that they were fighting about, right? They were fighting about knowledge. They were fighting about wisdom. Paul already addressed them in chapter two about having earthly wisdom rather than godly wisdom. Then he turns now to gifts of faith. He says, for to, for to one is given, no, sorry, to another faith by the same spirit. Again, now, again, he's emphasizing that all of these come from the same spirit. And he says, the gift of faith. So what is the gift of faith? Like, what is the gift of faith? Well, we know that all believers are to have faith. In fact, we are called to live by faith. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5.7. Faith working through love, Galatians 5.6. So every individual within the church is to walk by faith. We are to have faith. But this is a gift of faith from the Holy Spirit. This means it is given to a particular group within the church that have an extra portion of faith. And so it is the ability to believe God in the face of enormous obstacles. So, with the gift, uh, with the, with this gift, a child of God is to trust God to the extent that God intervenes and produces by means uh, um, and and change, overcomes the obstacles. Sorry. And so he says, here's the gift of faith. This is the ability to trust God in circumstances where other people might not, or to see that God will move. And so you trust him for that. This is reflective in 1 Corinthians 13 2, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. In other words, there, there's a faith to trust God to do things. This, again, reflected of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith, you can move mountains. But the idea here is that there there are those in the church who have been given a specific amount of faith that are able to trust God in circumstances that most of us would give up. Now, Paul himself did that in Acts chapter 27. And this is maybe how we can see how faith and prophecy go together. If we turn over to Acts twenty-seven, Paul is making uh, the prediction, and he is he is. They have crashed on the shore He's told them stay on the boat Don't go off If you all stay on the, on the, shore, on the boat you will, not, you will not die Not a man will be lost And then he says in verse 25 Therefore keep up your courage men For I believe God That it will turn out exactly as I have been told In other words Paul had In spite of the circumstances Trusted God He had faith that God would see them through what seemed to be a hopeless situation. They were crashed on the rocks. They thought they were going to drown. And yet Paul trusted God. He had faith in him. Now, we've certainly seen this through church history, have we not? We've seen those individuals like Hudson Taylor, who trusted God to go to to China without any money and to what? And to evangelize and that God would do a work in China. And he worked his ministry through there until, until now there are what? Millions of Christians in China. How many of you have heard of George Mueller? Right? Ran the orphanages. Remember the stories how he would sit down at the table. He would get gather the children and they would have no food and he would sit. And then he would pray. He would pray and give thanks for the food and there would be a knock on the door and someone would come and bring potatoes and food. There was a man who had the gift of faith. And so he says, there is the gift of faith that is given to some in the church that they may trust God in circumstances and see what God will do. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, And to another, gifts of healing. To another, gifts of healing. Both words are plural, pointing to the variety of such gifts designed for different kinds of sicknesses. In other words, many diseases, many kinds of healing. And we see this through Acts. Acts chapter 3, the crippled man was healed. The paralyzed and lame people were healed in Acts Eight, verse seven. Blind man healed, and and limbs healed in Acts chapter nine. Desired people, uh, disease people healed in Acts nineteen twelve. Fever and dysentery healed in Acts twenty eight eight. Now healings are not produced through human medical intervention. Cures wrought by, but are cures wrought by special spiritual power. And again, it was bestowed on the church in the first century, on some, not all. And so people became the channel by which God healed some. Now, they didn't heal everyone. It wasn't God's will that everyone would be healed. But the gift was given in order to what? Confirm a message. And as we go through Acts, we see this. We see the man that was healed, the crippled man who was healed in Acts chapter 3. Why was he healed? Was he healed specifically for his own good? Was he healed because God wanted to, to make his life better? Was he healed out of faith? No, he wasn't. He was healed, and then what took place? He stood upright and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as one being who is used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. And the next thing you know what takes place. They run to Peter and Paul, Peter, and they what? Peter now shares who Jesus Christ is. Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us as if it, by our own power and piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And so Peter goes on into what? Share the gospel. He uses it to confirm the message that he did. The healing was not about the person. It was about the praise and the glory of God. And ultimately, the purpose was to confirm the message that now Peter gave. And so these were part of... Of the miracles and wonders and signs that were granted to God through Jesus, through God granted through Jesus to His disciples. Again, not all were healed. We know that, right? Paul Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Timothy drank wine for his stomach. Paphroditus was sent back, right, because they thought he was sick. Nobody healed him, right? He almost died. if we go farther down on the chapter verse 12 he says for 1 Corinthians 12.12 I wrote down the wrong verse I think it's 14.12 they are the signs of the apostles I lost the verse here he says that they are the Sign of the apostles performed among you and were all perseverance signs and wonders and miracles. In other words, healings were what? A sign of the apostles. It's to two second Corinthians twelve twelve. The signs of the true apostles were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. In other words, we we demonstrated our message through what? Through signs and wonders, through healings and miracles. And again, a gift that was for the first century, a gift that was given to a few, primarily the apostles, to heal, to demonstrate their ministry and and to demonstrate who they were. And then it says, not only a healing, but by one spirit, but another affecting of miracles, verse 10. Affecting of miracles. So what's the difference between healings and miracles? Well, miracles really take up anything that's supernatural that's not healing, right? So we had people who were raised from the dead. We even had those who were who were, ju- were caused to be blind in Acts chapter 13 out of an act of judgment as God judged them and he said there are those who are able to what affect miracles again this was performed by the power of the spirit this was a supernatural work And so he said, there are those who can effect these miracles. There are those who could, who could raise the dead, the disciples did, could do any other supernatural miracle that took place. And again, this falls under 2 Corinthians 12:12, 12, 12, a sign of the apostles. And again, God used people in the first century to be the channels of his healing and of his supernatural miracles. Today, we know that God still has the ability to do, to do miraculous things. And I say, I noticed a difference, and maybe I should have used that in FOF this morning. There's a difference between the miraculous and miracles. In the first century, miracles were done through a channel, a person who did them. Literally, Peter said, get up and walk. Right? Today, God still comes into time and space and heals people, but he does it through providence as we, as we pray and according to his will. So when certain things take place and we pray and somebody is actually who had cancer and that cancer disappears, we say that was miraculous. God stepped into time and space and did that, but it's not a first century miracle that was took place that took place according to as a person use his gift to heal somebody and to therefore announce a message. So we want to separate those two. Yes, God still can heal. God can do miracles as it were, or miraculous events, but it's not the first century miracle where someone is used by God to perform that miracle. And we see that in the first century where people are healed when the person speaks to them, Christ did it, the apostles did it, they spoke and the person was completely healed. Completely healed. And we want, to, we want to make sure that we understand that. There was no partial healings. People were healed completely and permanently. It wasn't a gift that started to give and you got better and you better and better. The guy jumped up and walked. He didn't, he didn't start limping or crawling. He jumped up and walked, and that is consistent in Scripture. And so we want to understand that this is a supernatural event that was used by God to, to affirm a message where people were healed completely apart from medicine, and they were, it was a permanent healing. Okay, so they didn't they didn't get they didn't get better. He didn't walk for a few days and then start stiffening up and getting back down to being lame. He was healed for the rest of his life. Then he says to another prophecy and to another prophecy. Now, it might it might seem strange that in the gifts that are confirming a message that this one's here, because you'd almost think that this would be a revelatory gift. But Paul is trying to emphasize the fact here that it is, it, it confirms. And that's the aspect of prophecy that he wants to emphasize. Now, what is the gift of, of prophecy? I would understand that the gift of prophecy is the ability to foretell. In other words, where God gives you revelation, where you are able to then proclaim what will happen in the future. Now, he separates it from, from wisdom and knowledge but they are they are closely related but he says there are those who now have the ability to prophesy and to and to proclaim the future what will take place and we see in the, in the new testament there there are the apostles who often had the gift of prophecy and we see prophets as well new testament prophets now remember every apostle did not have the gift of prophecy. At least it's not recorded. But Paul did, John did, John wrote Revelation, right? And so he says, there are those who have the gift of being able to foretell. They are going to tell what happens in the future and it will come true. Now compared to the Old Testament, the predictive element may not be as large, but it is still there, and it is necessary for a prediction to be in it, for it to be prophecy. So the ability to prophesy future happening accurately, that provided the gift with its own authenticity and value. In other words, the reason that prophecy can, can be, be a, conf, a gift that confirms is the fact that when it comes true, then it confirms the messenger and the message that is coming from him. Now, Paul in Acts, Acts demonstrated that, did he not? When he prophesied that no one would be what? Lost on the boat. That's exactly what took place. He prophesied and said, no one's going to die. And then guess what? No one died. That's prophecy. He, he looked into the, he got a word from God about the future and he stated it. And then it came true, right? A true prophet must be right. What? 100% of the time. And Paul was right. We see different people with the gift of prophecy, Agabus, the daughters of Philip, Paul, they were able to what? Speak the future. Now, there are those who would say, well, actually, I think, I think prophecy today still goes on, and, and I'll tell you in which way. I think it, it's actually something that brings edification, so it must be the teaching of the Word of God. They would maybe turn to 1 Corinthians 14.3. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consult- consultation. And they would say, well, prophecy just means to speak forth and here, here it's exhorting and it, it's, 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 it's for edification and therefore it's building up. But I would suggest to you that anytime that you prophesy the future and it comes through, it edifies the church because it builds it up because it understands that that was a revelation from God. And it authenticates that person. And I would understand that to define prophecy that way is to take away from what is actually defined in scripture in the New Testament and the Old Testament that a prophet foretold and says, "'Thus saith the Lord.'" And any time that he repeats that message, he's still speaking for God and it is not new revelation, but he's not prophesying, he's simply reiterating what he has already been given. And so again, prophecy was the ability to tell the future, a gift that was again used in the first century for believers in order to uh, again, to confirm, to reveal truth to the church. So do we have prophecy today? I would understand that it ended at the ending of the, fir- of, of the new Testament. John wrote the last book of the Bible. It was revelation. It was foretelling of the future. And at the end of it, he says, don't add to the end to the words of this book. Now you might say, well, he's just talking about revelation. Well, he is, but I also think it's significant that it's the last book of the Bible And John wrote the last prophetic book and John says this is the end of it this is the end of it and so I would understand that prophecy ended when scripture ended and the need for prophecy was gone no longer needed to confirm a message no longer needed to reveal the truth because now we have the written word of God and we have all the revelation that we need in scripture. And I would say this, if you have prophecy today and it is inspired by the Holy spirit, then it has to be as inerrant and correct and as authoritative as the word of God. Okay. Because if it's produced by the spirit, it must be consistent with the spirit and it must be accurate and it must be as authoritative as the one who gives it. And so I would understand that prophecy ended at the end of John, of Revelation, sorry. John wrote Revelation, so it's close. And that there is no prophecy today. Yes, I think there are those who reveal the mind of God through scripture. I think they're called pastors and teachers with the gift of teaching. But I do not see that as defined as prophecy as I understand scripture. Well, he continues on in in chapter 12 and he says this. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits, the distinguishing of spirits. This is, I wouldn't define this as this. Well, I would say this, all Christians have to have discernment. Paul advocated for that in chapter 12 himself. Remember at the beginning, we talked about... um, the tests for the spirit. No one can say what negatively. No one can say Jesus is a curse positively. They say Jesus is Lord. There's one test. So all believers are supposed to be able to test. They're supposed to be able to look and to see, is this truly coming from God or is it not? Same thing with 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, where John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But the gift of distinguishing spirits is something that is necessary when there is utterance or something that is spoken where it's not clear that they are cursing the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So for those things that are clear, that stand against, and we said when we're cursing Lord Jesus Christ, we can go to Scripture and we can see the doctrine there. But he says in those cases where it's not really clear, where we're not really sure, where we, can't, we don't have that smoking gun, he says there are those who have been given the gift of distinguishing spirits. In other words, in the first century, when you've got people who are prophesying and you've got people who are giving a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge, what are you going to need to do in order to figure out whether this is from God or not? You're going to have to have someone there who has the gift of distinguishing spirits. You need someone with supernatural insight in the cases where these utterances were are not obviously wrong that they're coming, right? You know what it's like when someone makes a statement and you're, and you're not prepared for it. You're just like, whoa, and you're not sure. It sounds good. And he says, I've, I, I've given to the church those who are able to what? Discern. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 16. Again, as we look at Paul, And he is, again, dealing with this demon-possessed woman, girl. And as you, as you look at this, It says, It happens that there were going to a place of prayer. A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, These men are bond servants of the most high God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Can you show me where that's, there's something wrong with that statement? That's bang on that's bang on but what spirit is actually bringing that truth out she continued doing this for many days but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it came out that very moment in other words there was discernment there by Paul who understood that though she was proclaiming the truth and everything that she said was true it was not from the Holy Spirit it was from a different spirit So he says this, some have been given what? The gift of distinguishing spirits, the ability to discern when when someone gave an utterance, whether a word of wisdom, a prophecy, or knowledge, and they were able to what? Discern whether this was true or not. And so they were able to recognize the spiritual manifestation that manifestations that came these spirit manifestations whether they were truly from the spirit of God or if they were from Satan the source comes of course from the Holy Spirit who is able to empower and to illuminate and give people an understanding of spiritual gifts and what is from the spirit and what is not Then he says, and kinds of tongues, and kinds of tongues, gifts related to the tongues. And again, this is set apart in a different class. He starts with another, another kind, as it were. And various, and another various kinds of tongues. And he says, in the first century church, there were those who were gifted with the ability to speak, What? Languages that they hadn't learned. Something that they hadn't learned in a natural way. Something that they hadn't gone to school for. Something they hadn't learned. And again, we see that in Acts chapter 2. It says in verse 6, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. His own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are all these who are speaking who are speaking are Galileans? And how is it that each hear it is that we each hear them in our own language to do which we were born? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Macedonia, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Serene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Now, there's a few languages there. We hear them in our own tongue speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and were and great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? They heard them speaking what in their languages, human languages they were speaking and they were declaring the mighty things of God. They weren't prophesying future things. They were simply reiterating what God had done. It's the same phrase that kinds of tongue in First 1 Corinthians 14.10 where he says this. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. Do you get that? Same, same, same word, same sense. Kinds of languages, kinds of tongues means kinds of languages. Glossia. and he says there's many languages in the world and what none of them don't have meaning in other words they were speaking in human languages that had meaning 1st corinthians tells us why they spoke in tongues 1st corinthians 14:22 So then tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. In other words, tongues were what? Meant for a sign to unbelievers to get their attention so that they could hear the word of God. They could hear the gospel. It wasn't for edification of the church. It wasn't for the building up of people within the church. Its primary goal was what? Evangelistic. It was evangelistic. Not to. But prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. In other words, prophecy was meant for the church. Tongues is primarily for what? Speaking to unbelievers. So you've got the Corinthians who are all clamoring over themselves to speak in tongues in the church and they're missing the point and that's what Paul's trying to teach them you're missing the point the point of tongues isn't for the building up of the church it's for what unbelievers it's for evangelism So that's why Paul pleased with them in chapter 14, the place of, remember the place of gifts. And when you cultivate the gifts, cultivate the gifts that edify rather than the ones that are either confirming or evangelistic. You're trying to build yourself up in the church and puff yourself up rather than recognizing that this is not the place for it. Now what's interesting about this gift more than any other gift is the fact that it needed to be interpreted. And that's what the next gift is, is is the gift of what? Interpreting, distinguishing of tongues, I mean, sorry, the interpretation of tongues. In other words, if someone spoke in tongues, the idea was this, the person, if it needs to be interpreted, the person themselves didn't understand what they said make sense otherwise they could just they could just say it why would you need an interpreter now paul emphasizes a strong determination on the mind in 1st corinthians 14:9 he says however in the church i desire to speak five words with my mind that i might instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue in other words, I, I I want I want I need to communicate with what? My mind. So if, if it's important to communicate with your mind, and it's important because Christianity appeals to your mind, why are we wanting to speak in tongues that actually makes the person who's doing it what mindless? Or at least needing someone to interpret it. And he says, There are those who are gifted with what? The ability to Translate that language. To translate a language that they have never learned, but the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. Now, it's a companion gift to tongues, and we actually have no examples of its use in Scripture. It's just never demonstrated. But Paul says, in order for tongues to be legitimate, there needs to be an interpreter who has the gift of interpretation. And certainly tongues could not, be ed- could not edify unless they were interpreted. And so the gift of interpretation would edify, but the gift of prophecy itself was dependent on being interpreted to edify. Now, the difference between prophecy and tongues and and this gift of interpreting tongues is that prophecy was dependent on inner revelation while interpretation depended on an utterance. In other words, you had to hear the utterance to interpret it while prophecy just came from the inside as the Holy Spirit revealed truth. And again, if tongues are assigned to believers and if 1 Corinthians tells us that where there are tongues, they will cease, they will simply stop being, we would understand that both of these gifts are left in the first century. Again, they are not available for us because the purpose was, again, to have a, a sign to unbelievers. Some would believe that it was a sign of judgment on Israel. But now that we have the word of God, we no longer need the signs we now can go and proclaim he's given us the message of reconciliation and so it has ceased and so paul says here's a, a bunch of variety of gifts that are taking place in the first corinthian church They are alive and well, and they are supernatural gifts, and they are gifts that are easy to be what? Counterfeited. But Paul says the Holy Spirit works these things, and he works in the variety of ways. And I want you, Corinthians, to recognize the diversity of the Holy Spirit as he manifests himself in the church. And ultimately, you guys are all clamoring for one gift or a couple of gifts and not recognizing that the Holy Spirit works in miraculous ways in many ways. And instead of tearing you apart, they should ultimately bring you together. That's why he says in verse 11, he reiterates what he said in verse 7, but one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one. All these manifestations that he talked about in verse 7, the manifestations of the Spirit, each gift is distinct. He says, This is given to you by that one Spirit. He is one, you are many but you are all given gifts as an expression of the Spirit distributing to each one individually just as He wills. In other words, Corinthians, you're all fighting for certain gifts and you're envying certain gifts, and he says, guess what? God has gifted you just the way He wants you. And the Holy Spirit gives out just as He what? As He desires, as He wills. It's His will that you are gifted the way you are. You can't again. We talked about this last week. You can't get more spiritual gifts. When you came to salvation, you received the Holy Spirit, and at that time, you were given your spiritual gifts. You can't have spiritual gifts unless you have the Spirit, and you you don't have the Spirit until you're saved, and therefore, you don't get a spiritual gift of grace until you what you're converted. And he says, these supernatural gifts, you can't can't earn them. You You can't make more of them. They're not a reward for good behavior. They're just something that has been given to you by God and as he wills. And now the Corinthians are going to be looking for the showy gifts and they're going to be looking for more. And Paul says, stop it. Recognize that you are exactly who God has called you to be. And he has gifted you exactly the way he's gifted you with the amount of gifting that he's given to you. And you need to be satisfied with it. And far from that, you must recognize that you actually need to use those gifts. And you need to discover who you are and start to use those gifts. And maybe you're dissatisfied because you want other gifts because you have never exercised the gifts that have been given to you. And when you exercise the gifting that God has given to you and the Holy Spirit energizes you, you are going to find service in the church that is joyful and overflowing because that's what's being empowered by the Spirit. That gives you the strength to serve and the joy to serve. And then all of a sudden service becomes what? Joyful. And you will find that God will place you exactly where you want to be. Why? Because He created you that way and He gave you that gifting and He empowers that gifting and that just brings joy. He never gifts you in a way that's going to make you miserable. He gives you gifts to, to, for your good and for, for the benefit of the church. And when you exercise your, the gifting that God has given to you, you're right where you should be. For some of you, you look up here and you say, I want to push Pastor Tony over. That, that's where I want to be, right? Some of you would say, I would rather die than come up here, right? This shows us a little bit about our gifting, if we're understanding our gifting properly, right? Some of us will will have certain things that we do and it's just a joy to do them. Some of you will run to the hospital. Some of you will run from the hospital, right? Part of that is our gifting. And you will find joy and satisfaction in exercising the gifting that God has given to you because he's given it not only for the good of the church, but ultimately it brings joy to you as you live in obedience to him. Now, we said this last week, but I, I will be remiss if I didn't go back here. The church suffers when you don't exercise your gifts. The church suffers when you don't exercise your gifts. Paul talks about the members of the body being, some being a hand, some being a foot, each one supplies the other's needs. If your foot goes numb, you don't walk very well, right? Fact is, if one of your toes goes numb, you don't walk very well. Every single part of the body is important. And if it's not functioning properly, the body isn't healthy. And for the church to be healthy, they have to exercise their spirit. Everyone, everyone must exercise their spiritual gifts because number one, you are unique. God has gifted you in a way that he has not gifted anyone else. No one can do your ministry. Nobody can have the effects of your ministry. Only you can. Wherever that is, in whatever way that God has gifted you. And the body will always suffer if you are not performing and using your gifts. That's why we need to gather. That's why we do the one another's when we gather together to to use our gifting. This is why we are in each other's lives during the week. Because we must exercise these gifts to build up the body to the fullness of the man, Christ Jesus, and it will not happen. If you do not exercise your gifts, right? My job is to equip the saints for what ministry. I don't do ministry. I just kind of talk a lot. I teach a little bit, right? But the true ministry in the church is not done by the, by, by the pastor. It's done by the individuals in the seat. So you see shortcomings in the church, probably that's good because that shows you that probably you're recognizing the things that you're gifted at, so go for it. If it's not friendly, be friendly, right? This church is cold. What does J. Adams say? Go back and warm it up. Use your gifting to serve others in the church. And when each person does that, guess what? Everyone is served in the church and no one is left on the sidelines because everyone's getting attention because somebody's serving you somewhere. Remember, gifts are God's way of spiritual gifts are God's way and his means to build up the body. And the church will not come to maturity and it will not come to the fullness of Jesus Christ unless we exercise them. And so Paul says, this is, this is the unity of the spirit people controlled by the spirit serving one another in the power of the spirit to the glory of God. That's how the church is united. And far from gifts splitting us, they should be the very thing that drives us together as we serve one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what, what, what do we pray? What do we want? I trust that we want to be a church that demonstrates our love and gifting for one another. Now, we may not have these gifts, but we can have the gift of faith. And there are more giftings that are given, that are demonstrated out through scripture that God gives to us where we can serve one another, teach one another, have mercy on one another. And so let us not be driven apart, but let us be driven together as we pursue to live under the power of the Holy Spirit and serve one another. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. I pray that you would grant us understanding of it. Lord, there was a lot of information. I pray that we would not lose track in all of the figuring out what everything is to realize that you have gifted us for the building up of the body. And that you use some gifts early to confirm the message and you've used other gifts to continue to edify the church. And may we be those who are united because we are exercising the gifts of the Spirit to serve one another. And that there would be unity in our church that we would continue to live in the unity of the Spirit that you have given to us, I pray in your name. Amen.